Welcome to Crime Bar. Grab a drink and enjoy the show. Yo, yo, yo. That's a girl. <laughs> yo, yo. <laughs> What's that? Uh, hello, everybody. <laughs> Don't cut that. What if that was really how Please. we started our hey, episode? Welcome to Crime Bar. <laughs> What if that's how we talked? We're like, hello, everybody. <laughs> but like, we actually talk like normal well, all the other times. Well, what if we had like talent, but our voices were so miserable that no one wanted to listen? That to would us. be so sad. That Luckily, we just have good voices and no talent. <laughs> Luckily, we have, we're the full package. <laughs> so, you're this doing is, a shorty this today. This is a shorty, and you could say this is my first shorty. It is your first shorty. Mm-hmm. Not the first, but my first. It was pretty fun to do. Um, Today, I'm covering the mysterious death of Sharon Williams. St. Charles, Missouri is located right across the river from St. Louis. It's St. Louis, right? It's not like St. Louis. (laughs) I just start, you know, even looking at a computer all day and nothing seems to make sense. St. Louis. We can confirm. It's it's not St. Louis. Wait, I don't think so. (laughs) I got confused because of Sex in the City, where it's like that one scene with her assistant and it's like, Louise goes to St. Louise. Like, oh, they have that's that line right. yeah. and it confused me. So great sex in the city. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so anyway, St. Charles is very cute and small and it's considered to be a very safe town. They only see about one or two homicides a year, which is, I looked up like LA's homicides and it's, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot bigger area. So it's yeah. going to be higher up. <laughs> Back in 1983, when the story takes place, it was mostly just farmland and everyone knew each other. It's oh, one of those one communities. Of those. Yeah. yeah. So one evening, a car had been run off the road and gone down this ravine. The engine was still on and there was a fire on the driver's side of the car. When Deputy Ed Copeland arrived on the scene, he climbed three or four feet down to where the car was and he was able to get inside. He said he could hear a gasping sound and almost like a gurgling noise, but he couldn't locate where it was coming from. Mm. And that is when he saw a woman stuffed up underneath the dash of the car. And I don't know how that works, but I think maybe with the the way the car was and it seemed like she was jammed up underneath. I don't know how that okay. works. Obviously, there's no photos. All I can nor hear is would we dis- see nor would we want to see that. Yeah. Uh, Deputy Copeland tried getting a response out of her, but she wasn't speaking. And he knew this woman needed immediate medical attention. He tried opening up her airway so that she could breathe. And when he was doing so, he noticed that she was wearing a wig and it had been pushed out of place, most likely due to the accident that she had just gotten in. And that's how he saw that she had a severe head wound in the back of her skull. Oddly enough, her clothes had been soaked in gasoline and there was a trail of gasoline that led a few yards away from the car, but the gas tank had not been ruptured. Mm, suspicious. suspicious suspicious deputy copeland and the paramedics described her as being jammed up underneath the dashboard so they had to carefully remove her from the car and then rush her to the hospital as soon as possible paramedics found her purse inside the car and they were able to identify her from her driver's license her name was sharon williams she was 43 years old a mom to two boys and very well liked She was active in her church and everyone knew her. Everyone loved her. I'm going to refer to Deputy Ed Copeland as just Ed from now on because it's just, it's a lot of words. So Ed called the Williams home to notify her husband, Jim, that she had been in a really bad accident. 
Jim was picked up by a patrol officer and brought to the hospital. Unfortunately, her injuries were too severe and there wasn't much the hospital staff could do. So her husband, Jim, made the call to take her off of life support the very next morning. The sheriff said that Sharon had passed away due to the car accident, but it was very obvious to everyone that there was much more to this story. This was not an ordinary car accident. Deputy Copeland dissected every... I'm sorry, Ed. (laughs) I didn't follow my own rules. Ed dissected every element of the car accident reconstruction report, and he couldn't make sense of what happened. And this is important to do because it can determine how fast the car was going, when and where, and why an impact occurred. The reconstruction report stated that Sharon's car had traveled along a small ravine, and then the car collided into a tree, and the impact caused Sharon to fall underneath the dashboard. Ed did so not- she just wasn't wearing a seatbelt, but she didn't go through the windshield? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. I guess. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. Ed did not agree with this evaluation at all. Oh, good. Yeah. So no. we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah no, we very suspicious. He believed that we, Ed and I. <laughs> Ed and I believe this is suspicious. 1983 Ed and I are on the same page. He believed that her car drove off the road at such a high speed that this caused the injuries that she sustained. The deputy reported that the front of the car was only slightly dinged up, which is inconsistent with a car impacting with the tree, but the reconstruction report was still accepted and the case was closed. Ed's gut was disturbed with the lingering suspicion that Sharon had been injured prior to the accident, but Sharon was now buried and he tried his best to move on, but the case haunted him for three years. That is until a badass medical examiner comes to St. Charles. Dr. Mary Case was called up by a detective in the St. Charles Sheriff's Department to be a fresh set of eyes on this case. She is one of 15 examiners in the country that has training in both forensic pathology and neuropathology. She has a knack for detecting the subtle ways in which someone might have been murdered, and she picks up on things that many just wouldn't look twice at, including the people that had been on the case previously. So she does her job? So she does her job. She's crazy. I know, it's nuts. For a a woman, too? Wild concept. (laughs) One of the first things that Dr. Case notices is that an autopsy was never performed on Sharon. So basically, her body body is rescued from the car, brought directly to St. Joseph's Hospital, which is located in St. Charles. She survives for 11 hours, even after sustaining a massive head injury. And then her husband just takes her off life support, and she's buried. That's... This case was, that's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> this case was never treated as anything more than a tragic car accident. So an investigation didn't take place. Dr. Case was determined to find out what really happened to Sharon Williams. Based off of the x-ray and CT scan, you can see that the skull fracture is located in the back of her head. But if she had hit something, the damage wouldn't be to the back of her head. Dr. Case requested that Sharon's body be exhumed. Her request was denied. Well, Dr. Case refused to take no for an answer and took matters into her own hands. She performed an illegal exhumation. (gasps) Badass. Oh, my God. I know. Scary, too. Spooky. What did she do? (laughs) Did she dig her up late at night? (laughs) Just with her hands. (laughs) She First, she calls up Sharon's mom, and she informed her that she didn't think that her daughter was killed in a car accident. And she said that even though Sharon's mom isn't able to legally make this acceptable, she wanted to inform her out of respect and at least get permission from a family member, which is awesome. And Sharon's mom didn't hesitate whatsoever. And she said, go for it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Dr. Case went to the funeral home and requested that they dig up the casket. The casket was then dug up by the the people at the funeral home, brought Sharon to the facility um, so that she could perform an autopsy on Sharon's body the next morning. Dr. Case was accompanied by a few detectives that were there to photograph evidence and then, you know, any potential findings. But because the body was illegally exhumed, none of the evidence would be usable in court. And how she saw it was, you know, if I find any incriminating evidence, I'll put the body back and then find a way to legally exhume the body and then present that evidence. Oh, damn. Yeah, she, oh, my God. She's ready Is to risk she it all. Virgo? She mu- I, <laughs> I should have looked up her birthday. Yeah, she was ready to risk it all. And she, she didn't get in trouble. But Sharon's body had been in a casket for three and a half years, but was relatively preserved. And if you're establishing that an individual has died from a car accident, then the injuries the person sustains has to coincide with the damage on the car. So if a car ran off the road and hit something large like a tree, you'd expect blunt force trauma injuries all over the body. And if Sharon had died in this manner, then it would be realistic for her to have suffered from other injuries, other areas besides for her head. That's just not the case. She had a few superficial scuffs and cuts on her face. I think it was like two, two or three, like above her eyebrow. And then a significant wound on the back of her head. So the lacerations and abrasions made sense for someone in a car crash, but Dr. Case couldn't make sense of the skull fracture. She was able to establish that there was nothing in the car that could have caused such a massive hemorrhage and fracture. It appeared that the fracture was caused by a blunt object and she had been struck twice with that object. She concluded that this was no accident. Sharon Williams had been murdered. In 1987, three and a half years after Sharon's death, the case was reopened as a murder investigation. No, no, fist bump, fist bump, but those are silent. (laughs) I'm pumping. (laughs) It's a well-known fact that most people aren't killed by people that they don't know, and most of the time, the husband or boyfriend did it. According to retired homicide detective Mark Mendelson, you have to start at home and work your way out. So Jim Williams was the first on the list. Mm -hmm. Jim was well-respected and described as a big teddy bear. He was friends with a lot of Hyatt people like politicians and judges. Oh, I know. I mean, he was like slimy. Mm -hmm. Soon after the death of his first wife, Jim married another woman named Joanne Notice. Before meeting Jim... Joanne had been married to a man named Walter Scott. Weirdly enough, Walter Scott was reported missing just 10 weeks after Sharon's accident. Oh, subtle. (laughs) Detectives suspected that there was a connection between the two cases. According to Ed, coincidences don't exist in law enforcement. Yeah. Joanne reported her husband missing on December 27th, 1983. Walter was the lead singer of a band He was an amazing performer with a commanding presence. The ladies loved Walter. Oh. And he had, (laughs) you know, loved him. And he had quite the local following and he started gaining national attention. Walter disappeared as the band was starting to get popular. And they had a really big performance coming up uh, in St. Louis at the Fox Theater. According to Joanne, they were in the kitchen talking and she mentioned that he needed to get some paperwork done on their car. So he got his shoes and jacket on, said goodbye to Joanne and the kids, and left the house. He never came back, and he was never seen again. Joanne tried filing a police report at 2 a.m., but in the state of Missouri, you have to be missing for 24 hours to be reported missing as an adult. The next day at 7 a.m., a sheriff came to the house so that she could fill out the missing persons report. And he, like you know how in most cases, it's like 
that person wouldn't just disappear and not check in. Like yeah. they weren't the type. It's like yeah. no one is. Like yeah. no one's the type to just disappear forever and not check in. Sure. But kind, but like Walter kind of was. Oh. Yeah. So he was the type of guy that would like go out for cigarettes real quick and then not come back. Oh. <laughs> so and he's, he's the exception. <laughs> Walter's the exception. So it was really suspicious of Joanne to want to file a report just hours after he left because she knew his MO, oh. like this is what he did. Okay. And it's not unusual for someone to overcompensate in a way that makes them seem like they're not involved in the crime. So like calling the police and mm -hmm. acting concerned is yeah. a very common method, just yeah. like Harold Henthorne calling 911 after he pushed his wife off of a cliff. Yeah. His disappearance was not a top priority because Walter was a musician that traveled all over the country. He hung out with a really rough crowd and he was a womanizer. And funny enough, but like not funny at all to people like me, his <laughs> band, his band Bob Cuban and the, the In Men, which I guess was kind of popular during that time. What's it called? Bob Cuban. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Bob Cuban and the In Men. Yeah, that's a mouthful. It's stupid. They could <laughs> condense it to the In Men. Yeah. Um, they had a song on the Billboard Hot 100 called The Cheater. Oh. And I looked up some of the lyrics and it goes, look out for the cheater. Make Wait, way. sing it. I don't know how the beat goes, but look out for the cheater. Make way for the foolhearted clown. Look out for the cheater. He's going to build you up just to let you down. <laughs> like, yeah, we already know that. <laughs> I don't know if that's the tune. <laughs> I did not expect you to really sing it. <laughs> you told me to do some dance monkey. Monkey dances. <laughs> So everyone was talking and chalked it up to him skipping town and joining another band or possibly a jealous husband or boyfriend found out about Walter sleeping with their woman and he wanted to got his I ass see. beat. Sure. So Joanne sent some of her friends to the airport to see if he had possibly left his car there. And lo and behold, his Lincoln was parked in the garage. There was nothing found in the car and without a body, a criminal investigation can't take place. So Sharon Williams dies in a staged car accident. Walter Scott disappears. And then their spouses get married soon after, like months, mm. months later. Yeah. Investigators discovered that when the deputy had gone over to Joanne's house to fill out the missing persons report, Jim Williams was sitting in the kitchen. What? You're just like already there. Oh my God. <laughs> Wasting no time. It was clear that the two were having an affair and their neighbors confirmed this. It was just a well-known fact in the neighborhood. Jim was always buying her jewelry and books and they didn't try and hide their relationship. So they're just a bunch of assholes. The day after Walter went missing, Walter's parents went over to his house and found Jim Williams inside looking at Walter's jewelry. What? And they're like, why are you looking at his jewelry? Like, what is going on here? And Jim obviously didn't have an answer for it. And they would, I read that the parents would patrol the house and they would always see this, you know, ginormous man, Jim Williams, walking in and out of the house. And after seeing that, they decided to cut off a relationship with Joanne because they knew she was sketch and mm. probably had some sort of involvement. Okay, so get this. Sheriffs go to Florida to visit Jim Williams' son, Jimmy Jr. He was in prison at the time. The sheriffs tell him, your mother didn't die in a car crash like your father told you. She was murdered. And we think your father had something to do with it. And luckily, he does not have a relationship with his dad. He hates his dad, so he's more willing to talk. They ask him, if your father was to get rid of a dead body, where do you think he might be hiding it? And he responds with, well, have you looked at my dad's cistern? And I didn't know what a cistern was. Um, I had to look it up. And it's like a tank that stores water. It's kind of yeah. like a well. Um, Jim's cistern had a concrete lid 
It was about 20 feet deep and 10 feet in circumference. In December of 1984, Jim had had a flower pot built over this cistern. So just like <laughs> right afterwards. And that was really suspicious because it's freezing temperatures. So for him to hire somebody to pour concrete and then build this thing. Yeah. Come on, Jim. A search warrant was granted and the plan was to uncover the cistern. It was encased in concrete. And once it was cleared, they looked inside. A body was inside, no surprise. The body was wearing a blue jogging suit, the outfit that Walter had been wearing when he went missing. Walter's ID was found next to his body. Oh, just to make it super easy. Yeah, just floating there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Walter's, they're not the smartest I've come no, to No, I think that's evident. Yeah. I think that's been evident. They mm. are, they absolutely are not just the not smartest. not the brightest bulbs in the tanning bed. Walter's body was in a wet environment for a few years and the way the body decomposes in water almost makes it crumble like bread. And that's like Dr. Case's words, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like very crumbly. Um, skin is gone and the bones fall apart easily. Walter's hands had been, he'd been hogtied. X-rays showed that Walter had been shot in the chest by a rifle and then he was tied up and thrown in. Why would you shoot someone in the chest with a rifle, then tie them up? They they didn't know that either, um, but they were assuming that it was to make him easier to transport and lift. Oh. oh, okay. It was clear that Jim Williams had murdered Walter Scott and he was arrested. All of the gathered information was given to the prosecutor's office and a trial took place nine years after the murders. In November of 1992, Jim Williams was found guilty and convicted of two counts of murder. He was given a life sentence without parole. Ed knew that Jim didn't act alone. Someone would have needed to drive the car the night Sharon was killed while another person picked them up from the scene. One person would have had to drop off Walter's car at the airport while another picked them up. And because of that, Joanne was given a five-year sentence, which is brutally short. Oh my God. And that was only, that. It's, it's ridiculous. And that was only because it was obvious that she was the second person, but they didn't have enough evidence to pin murders on her, you know, DNA and everything like that wasn't on her property. Yeah. Both of these individuals thought that murder was a better solution than divorce. Jim killed Joanne because he said he had a successful business and he didn't want her getting any of his money through a divorce. <laughs> Wow. Like, God forbid your wife and mother of your two children get a dime. Yeah. And Joanne said that Walter wouldn't agree to a divorce, so shooting was her only solution. <laughs> okay. Jim died in 2011 from a heart condition while serving his life sentence, and Joanne died in 2019 at the age of 75. If Dr. Case hadn't illegally exhumed Sharon's body, Jim would have been able to get away with not one, but two murders. So moral of the story, trust your gut and don't let anyone, even the law, get in your way. <laughs> <laughs> but we're also not suggesting yeah. you commit any crimes. <laughs> Coming from the biggest rule follower there ever has been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great story. I've never heard of that. That's wild. Yeah, isn't it Nutsbuds? Yeah, Nutsbuds, indeed. Yeah. I got that one um, from like short little docu-series on Ulu. Mm. And it was called something about like into the morgue or behind the doors of the morgue. We'll list the sources. <laughs> don't okay. quote me on that. Yeah. But it was pretty interesting because yeah, I don't know was, much about that stuff. That was really good. I Thanks just have like a quick question and maybe a quick you would, cue. <laughs> I have a quick cue for you. Um, when someone says they won't agree to a divorce, mm -hmm. can't right. you just do it anyways? <laughs> yeah. But I think you have to have their signature. 
Yeah, but like, because don't you, maybe this is in the movies, but it's kind of like Sweet Home Alabama, for example, re-signed or one of them signed the paperwork, but the other one didn't. So they were still legally married. Yeah. I mean, I know that you both need to, but I also know that there are ways around, um, like, for example, I know when like someone goes missing, Mm -hmm. not necessarily through like criminal acts or anything, but just like if you take off and then your wife's left behind and she's like, I don't want to be legally married to this person. I haven't seen him in years. Mm -hmm. You can like post a notice in the newspaper. You can like file these things that says, I don't know where this person is. They're not here. It gives them the, like the opportunity to respond to it, I think. I don't know yeah, what I'm no, talking no, about. No, no, I'm no, 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 literally that. referencing things I've seen in TV. I am getting my law information from a rom-com, Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> so do not quote me on that either. Um, but the I guess what we're both trying to say in a weird roundabout way is murder is not the solution. Um just separate and find there's a way a to divorce way, yeah, there's <laughs> legally. A, there's some way. For sure. God uh, forbid, even if they refuse to give you a legal divorce. Just leave. Just leave. Bye. Yeah. Killing them and then hog tying them isn't. That's not the answer. And building a flower pot over them no. and their blue track suit. No. Isn't the way to go. No. Well, yeah. great job. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Love, love you. you. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. To view detailed source material, as well as content from today, please visit us on Instagram at Crime Bar Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon patreon.com slash crime bar podcast this episode was hosted by ashley brumley johnson and anna katharina see you next week